0: Our study of the book of Hebrews, next week will be the last week. Two weeks ago after I spoke, I went over to Christian Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church to uh, catch the end of uh, Percy's sermon. And uh, he, his topic for the week was, or for that Sunday, was stay the course, which was very, very similar to what we were looking at in the first part of Hebrews chapter 12. I told him, uh, other than more excitement in the pulpit, uh, we said the same things. Um, but uh, I didn't take probably two steps the whole time I was there without someone coming up and saying, please greet the saints at Bethany on our behalf, and they all send uh, their love to you. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the, the household of faith. And uh, we thank you that we're part of, of your family because your son loved us and died for us. And we pray as we look into your word that you would be pleased to minister to our hearts, to equip us, to challenge us, uh, to lead us. That we, in turn, uh, might be your people in this world. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us are, I think, familiar with the Christian triad of virtues found in 1 Corinthians 13.13. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Uh, One way of remembering these last three chapters, the first... um, Ten chapters of Hebrews really are very doctrinal in nature, uh, teaching us the truths. But when he comes to chapters 11, 12, and 13, he gets very much more practical. And each chapter has kind of a theme. Of course, we know chapter 11 is the the hall of faith, the the heroes of faith, and so faith is there. Uh, Chapter 12 that we looked at the last couple weeks really has the idea of hope. Even though the word hope doesn't appear in the chapter, words like inheritance and promise and looking to the future are, are there. And and so in chapter 12, uh, in chapter 11, we have the examples of faith. In chapter 12, we have the encouragements to faith. We have the example of the Lord Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith, who by faith won the great victory at the cross and has sat down at the right hand of God, where he intercedes for us and grants us aid. Because now the throne of God is the throne of grace, where I can come to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And then we also have hope because we have the promise that God controls and uses our trials in our lives for good. And then as Bjorn pointed out last week, we have the glorious future of Mount Zion, the unshakable kingdom guaranteed to us. And so when we come to chapter 13, uh, chapter 11 is faith, chapter 12 is hope, chapter 13 is love. And we're going to see the word appear a number of times in this passage. So let's plunge in uh, to, uh, I have music back there. Ah, good, I have this up here. Verse 1. Let love of the brethren continue. He's going to talk about brotherly love. And he's going to uh, move to um, three examples of of that love here. And the first one is found here. uh, And this is a command. Let love of the brethren continue. We're very familiar with this word. It's the word Philadelphia. Brotherly love. It's a love that That flows out of the common bond of having been saved by the death of Jesus. And as the Lord commanded, we are to love one another even as He loved us. It is the the mortar that binds us together. It is what uh, it is a family responsibility. And this this group of people has been going through a lot of stresses of trials. And, and not only were, as we saw in chapter 12, were they weakening in, in their resolve in, in the journey of faith, but apparently they were also lessening uh, their love for one another. I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed, I'm not as kind, I'm not as patient, I'm not go through the list of First Corinthians 11, and, and those things don't show up. And so these people have been under stress. And, and he says, you need this mortar that holds you together. You need this, this glue, this family love, this commitment to one another. And so he commands them to, to love one another, to, to uh, continue in, in brotherly love. From there, he moves to verse 2 for love of strangers. He says, do not neglect to show hospitality To strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, The word hospitality is in the Greek is love of strangers. So right away they would pick up on that word love. He's continuing this thought of love. Not only do we love those in our Congregation, not only do we love those Christians that are that are in our lives with that family love that binds us together, and so you have all the one another's of Scripture that I'm to uh, care for one another, pray for one another, uh, all these these kind of ties that bind us together. But he says, I want you to show hospitality. In the first century, inns um, were incredibly expensive. And they had bad reputations. And there was a lot of traveling. Paul traveled. Peter traveled. Apollos traveled. Titus. Timothy. The, the whole list of those people that you find in the New Testament. Were traveling amongst these little tiny churches in these towns. And it, it would be very hard uh, for them if they had to depend on inns. And so traveling Christian preachers and and Christians in general needed the hospitality of other believers. One commentator said, without hospitality in Christian homes, the spread of the faith would have been much more difficult. Hospitality was a key to spreading the faith as, as these people traveled. And, and he goes on and he says, um, Do not neglect, do not forget. Uh, To show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You go to Genesis 18. Abraham saw some men. He invited them in. And and they were angels. And one was a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus. And then they go down and Lot invites them into his home. And and they entertained angels. Now he's not saying show hospitality. Because maybe you'll get the lucky deal where you entertained an angel. No, what he's saying is God is pleased with hospitality and sometimes there's unexpected benefits to hospitality. C.T. Studd, the the great cricketer from England, probably perhaps the greatest athlete uh, England ever, ever produced, who was rich and famous and gave it all up to go to China to be a missionary with Hudson Taylor. Um, he was raised in a wealthy home. His father was, and mother were converted because D.L. Moody came and preached in England, uh, but the boys were in college, and uh, they had their future ahead of them. They had—they were all very athletic, but the father would begin to invite preachers or missionaries that came to England to, out to his home, and then they could preach in the area. And uh, One Sunday, the boys were home, and there were two of these men there. One they kind of liked, but one they kind of felt he wasn't very athletic, and so he was more bookish, and uh, they did things to him like invited him to go for a horse ride, and then they would race their horses past, uh, and he would barely keep his seat, and I can identify with that because as a kid, I went to a farmer's, uh, one of my friends who, who lived on a farm, and they did that to me, and I ended up not in the saddle, but around the horse's neck, both my legs and my arms, uh, to one side. And so, but, and they never gave his name, it's just Mr. W. He got each one of those older boys alone during the weekend and led all three of them to Christ. Unexpected benefit of hospitality. Those of you who may know Storybook, William Howell, who's director of of Storybook, was saved because a preacher, after coming home or coming over for the Sunday dinner, um, had a chance to speak to him about his soul. And and that was one of the things that really got him on the road to salvation. Uh, There was a woman in this meeting years ago by the name of Margaret Dunkerton, and I remember her telling me that uh, her folks often had preachers and missionaries in and they had a pedestal table, and if she was very quiet, she could sit on the pedestal while they would talk around the table. And she said, I didn't understand a lot of the things they said, but a lot of the truths they talked about, like the rapture and salvation and eternal security. Later on, when I got older and I heard these things, I could remember some of those things, and I had a framework for them. And so Christian hospitality has this unexpected benefit uh, attached to it and so he he says don't forget that be hospitable and then verse three he says um, remember the prisoners as though in prisoner prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body he turns from unexpected guests to those who have to be actively sat, sought out In that day, and in some parts of the world today, prisoners are not well treated and they depend, even for necessities like food, on sympathizers. Paul exhorted Timothy not to be ashamed of him, the Lord's prisoner. And later in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he he expresses how thankful he was for Onesiphorus, who was not ashamed of his chains, but when in Rome, eagerly searched for him. And, and we've talked uh, back in chapter 10 that some of these people were in prison. Some of these people had had, had their, their goods taken from them. And there might be a fear to identify with, with Christians who were suffering, who were, who were imprisoned. I write to a, to a man in, who's in prison every other month or so, and he talks about feeling cut off. That by the time he gets out... Uh, most of the people he knows will be dead are or, or very, very old. Cut off from uh, this Christian fellowship in, in the prisons. Uh, thankful for Emmaus correspondence Ministry, for chaplains, for those that minister to him. But he says, don't cut them off. Rather, he says, remember them as though in prison with them. What would you want someone to do if you were in prison and you're a Christian? Well, do that for them. And then he says, those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body, were to show compassion and concern for those who are ill-treated. He says, since you are in the body. Are in the body. Some take this as a reference uh, to being part of the body of Christ. Others see it as a reference to the fact that we all have human bodies which expose us to physical suffering. So Paul could be saying, listen, you may someday be one who who is experiencing ill treatment. Or he may be saying, because they're part of your body, uh, care for them. But either way, Christianity has a history marked by care for those in need. It is the Red Cross, not the Red Circle. It is the Young Man's Christian, uh, the uh, YMCA, Young Man's Christian Association, Young Women's Christian Association, begun at, when they saw all these young men and young women coming to the cities to work, and and there being uh, difficult circumstances that. That they were living in, it gave them a place where if they were Christians, they could come and know they were in a safe environment. There were Christians who were looking around at those that were struggling and said, How can we help? And he says, That ought to be your mindset. How can we help? These are evidences of our faith. In verse 4, he says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Sexual purity uh, in marriage, uh, before marriage. God ordained marriage, and he expects sexual purity until marriage. You know, much of our world has a very low view of marriage. Marriage. You'll hear him often say, well, 50% of all marriages fail. In 1995, I remember uh, riding in my car and I was listening to a a radio broadcast by Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson was talking about the movement towards cohabitation um, instead of marriage. And uh, he said, you know, if you went out on the street, and even if you went up to someone who was older, well-dressed, and said, do you think it's wiser for couples today to live together and try it out a little bit, uh, or or to go ahead and get married? He says, most of the time, I suspect in our world, you would hear them say, well, you know, it probably makes sense to try it out. Make sure you're compatible. And so he began to talk about some of the statistics uh, about cohabitation versus marriage. Cohabiting couples have an 80% plus percent chance of their relationship will end up in breakup or divorce. Women are 62 times more likely to be assaulted by a live-in boyfriend than by a husband. Cohabiting women have rates of depression three times higher than married women. And as he, he went through these statistics and others, he said, listen, When you try to substitute man's wisdom for God's directions, there's always a cost. And so this man writes, he's writing about love. He's writing about the evidence of of our faith. And he says, listen, love each other. Widen the circle for those believers who are in prison, for those who are ill-treated. Show it. In, in your marriages. And then he, he gives the warning. At the end. He says "Listen, the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Be sexually pure. As you come into marriage. He says for fornicators. And this is a general word for sexual immorality. Um, it covers all forms of sexual relations. Outside of a heterosexual marital relationship. Adulterers is sexual unfaithfulness by a married person. He says, um, "But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. In, in the Greek, the last word of the sentence is God. And it's there, as an emphasis. God himself will judge. Whatever they face in this life, they will face a God who ordained marriage, who gave it to earth for our good. And those that, that deal wrongly with it, He will judge. Down to verse 5. He says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Persecution had brought financial losses. Back in chapter 10, In verse 32, we referred to this before. He says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing you yourselves have a better possession and a lasting one. So they were... Sharing with, with Christians who are being persecuted. Helping prisoners. And he wants them not to, to let go of that. But, but he says, you know, um, do, make sure that your character is free of the love of money. Uh, their persecution had brought financial losses. And that may have discouraged uh, a feeling of generosity. When you're struggling... Uh, and fi- financially you're in difficulty, it, it's hard to, to give to someone else. You tend to clutch it to yourself. If, if you've had serious losses and you're trying to recoup and rebuild your, your fortune, it, it's hard to say, well, I should give a bunch of it away. Now, when you have a lot, it's easy. But when you don't, it's hard. And he says, listen, be careful in that. That you get your focus on money. And off the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. And there is that about about money that captivates the heart. In 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10. It says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Greed, covetousness, love of money... Get your focus off God. Get your trust off God. Get your eyes on, on money and possessions. And he says, be real careful. Be real careful. Because it'll capture your heart. It'll take you places you don't want to go. And we could give examples of people that was true of. The opposite of greed is contentment. Someone asked a multimillionaire, how much money does it take for a rich man to be satisfied? And his answer was, just one million more. The love of money is the love of more. If I just have a little bit more, I'll be content. But you never get there because it's always more. And so he wants to encourage them uh, to find contentment. And contentment's not found in material things. Only God can satisfy. And to bolster his argument, he quotes Deuteronomy uh, 31, verse 6. um, For he himself has said, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. You might be going through difficult times, but God is with you. God's presence is there. God's protection is there. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Your foundation is his presence in your life, not what you have. And then he quotes Psalm 118, verse 6. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What, can, what will man do to me? Whatever comes, I have this confidence. God is my helper. My eyes are on him, not on other things that I can pile up and say, well, I'm safe now, I'm secure now because I have this, because God can take it away very, very quickly. And I could give you names of people to talk to if you want to know how true that is. Our contentment comes from God, and that's where our eyes have to be focused. And notice he says, uh, make sure your character or your manner of life is free from the love of money. The love of money changes who you are. And so he's talking about love. He's talking about love that we should show. Love that we have to be careful about. And then he comes down to the next section. Remember your heritage. Verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. He's referring to those who have died. And specifically, he talks about three things. Remember their teaching. They spoke the word of God to you. Remember their conduct. And remember their faith. There is encouragement in remembering a godly heritage. If you were to walk out these back doors... And go to your left to a couple set of double doors, which is the library. And walk in there and look to your right. On the wall, you'll find three wooden plaques. The first one says, in memory. And on that list is Bethany's chapter 11 of Hebrews. Our our people who were here, who have died, who have gone before us. And every one of those names has a story. You'll find the name Henry Anderson there. Henry Anderson moved here from uh, Sioux City, moved to the Alabar Hills. He and his wife Ruth saw all these kids and said, we ought to start a Sunday school work. There's no church in this part of town. And Alabar Hills Sunday school that met in the Blackhawk School became Downing Avenue Gospel Chapel, as others uh, shared the vision and rallied around to that. And, and why do we do Awanas? Why do we do Sunday school? Why is that a big emphasis? Why do we send, spend thousands of dollars to send kids to camp? Because it goes back to that original vision that those people had that laid the foundation for here you go down the list, you'll find uh, Lucas Hansen, Colin Wiedenbacher, children who passed away here, a sorrow that we shared as a chapel family. You'll find names like Byron Youngberg and Ron Jones, men who were in their 30s, were incredibly active and really at at the beginning of the strength of their ministry in this meeting, died in car accidents. And others had to step up and take their place. You would find John and Annie Stickford. Annie grew up in a home and they played in bands. And Saturday night till early in Sunday morning, it was a family band. So they didn't go to church, but somebody invited them to some tent meetings. And the rest of Annie's family got saved, and Annie was still thinking about it. And one day, she and her brother were out plowing behind some mules, plowing the fields. And at noon, the brother came in and said to his mom and dad, I think Annie got saved. Why do you think that? Well, for a long time, she, was, she stopped plowing. She was just standing out there behind those mules. And then all of a sudden, she started singing. And she's been singing ever since. And about that time, they heard her coming up the, the road to the house, singing at the top of her lungs. And she never got over being saved. Vic and Alex Reeker. Dick saw her at an ice cream store, so the first time he invited her out, he invited her out for ice cream, thinking that was probably going to be successful. He said they ate ice cream for the next 60 years together. Alice worked at Morris Printing. She really liked it because she worked in the part of Morris Printing where they printed tracks, and they sent them all over the U.S. and all over the world. And... uh, That kind of gave her a desire, and so at the bus station, before they built the inner city freeway, if you went into the bus station, there was a track rack there that she checked on every week to make sure there were tracks and Christian booklets that if people came in and they had to wait and they had nothing to read, they could get a track and read about the Lord Jesus, and they could take it with them wherever they went. She was the first person from Bethany to write a track about her her own life called My Testimony. Two other people in this meeting, later when they were facing cancer, wrote tracks. Uh, one still in the track rack, uh, Joan Ferguson. Another one was one of the elders who, who died early here by the name of Merlin Venekroll. He was very involved in, in Changing the way we did music. He mentored young men. He came down with cancer. And so he, too, kind of because of Alice and, and Joan, because of, of uh, Merlin, decided to write a track about how, what he was facing. And whether God took him through it or, or decided that his life would end, he, he was ready. He was going to Cedar Falls Hospital, and they moved his chemo treatment to, to uh, a hospital in Marlou I was talking to him about. He said, well, that's because every doctor and nurse in the Cedar Falls Hospital already has my track. We just figured God wants to give us a whole new field to give tracts to. He had a missionary come to him and say, hey, cancer is in the Hispanic world. Can we translate this to Spanish? So somewhere out there, there's Merlin's track in Spanish. And one day, in the mail, they got a letter, and inside the letter was his track translated into Chinese. So somewhere in this world, a track from a man here is being read by people whose native language is Chinese. These, These are people, ordinary people, that... That we have. And I know a number of you uh, don't have uh, those memories of those people. But I hope that in your previous church that you attended, there's a Sunday school teacher, a clubs leader, an older person that sat several rows away from you, uh, that you have memories of people who who were faithful to God, who, who lived out the Word of God. Maybe people who in the platform taught the word of God and you learned truths from those people. And and the right Hebrew says it's good to remember those people. It's good to think about how they lived their lives. It's good to, to think about that those, the way they spoke and the way they lived flowed from their faith. And as you reflect on that and consider that, imitate their faith. And as we come up on Thanksgiving, you know, one of the things you can be thankful for are the people who have influenced your life to where you are today for Jesus Christ. There's another name on that board. And, and we're not going to go through all the names, obviously. But kind of like the writer of Hebrews who, in chapter 11 who said, and what more shall I say, time will fail me. I had to talk about all of them, Uh, Pearl Oster. She died in 1994, the very year that my wife and I adopted our daughter. She died unexpectedly, suddenly. And when my wife heard, she was really grieved. And I said, "Why why are you so grieved by Pearl's death? She said, because Pearl was such a gracious, godly woman. And Gwen will never have the chance to see that. And so, the second lesson we learn how this verse is they've passed, you're the ones that people are going to have memories of. What are you leaving behind in what you talk about, in how you live, in the proof of your faith? Because someday, if the Lord be not come, someday they'll be saying, Do you remember so and so? And they'll be thinking about you. And so we need people who leave a heritage of a hunger for Scripture, of a desire to see the lost saved, of hearts that love and worship and serve the Lord Jesus. If if you're here, you know, if, if you use it as an example of, of like stars, and, and these people are like individual stars. I hope everybody here has a sky filled of stars that just dozens and dozens and dozens of names come to your mind. But even if you have just a few stars in your sky, look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, when the sun comes up, all the stars just dim in the glory of the Son. And even if you're here and you say, boy, I didn't grow up in a Christian church, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, I came to faith late in in Christ, well, first of all, you have the opportunity to make memories with other people here, and we'll try to make them less exciting than the trip to Branson. Um, (laughs) But think those people have some memories of being together and of each other. But that's part of what being in a local church is. But even if you don't have those, you have the Lord Jesus. And so he centers on the Lord Jesus, just like he did after going through all of chapter 11 and chapter 12. He immediately says, look, stop looking at everything else. Look at the Lord Jesus. And so he says, listen, the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is a word in the Old Testament, a Hebrew word called hesed. In the King James, it was translated mercy. Some other translations translated loving kindness. Most of the new ones translated steadfast love or loyal love. It contains the idea of faithfulness and and love. A faithful love. And so we, we come to the Lord Jesus. And he is God's example of a faithful love, He's the same. Yesterday, uh, I brought a book up, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. D.L. Wilmington has taught at Liberty University since 1972, and he took all of his courses, the Bible courses he taught there, and put it in one volume. So every book of the Old Testament, all the. Uh, doctrines, and, and he just kind of put it all together. He, he's very meticulous. You maybe have heard that there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. Well, one of his appendixes is to list all 613, so you know it's true. You can see for yourself. Um, but when he talks about the life of the Lord, instead of doing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he, he talks briefly about each one of them and how they're different. But he, he does a synopsis of the gospel, and he calls it this, 72 steps from glory to glory. And the Lord Jesus took every one of those steps in faithful love for you and me. Every step that he knew that was leading to Calvary, he did it because he was faithful to the command of the Father and he did it out of faithful love so that you and I could be saved and could be in heaven. And we can remember his faithful love in the past as we go into the Gospels. You might not have a lot of people that you can remember, but you can go into the Gospels and see that faithful step by step heading to the Calvary because he wanted you in heaven. He's The same yesterday, today. I like Hebrews because it gives so much information about the Lord's present ministry. His faithful love ministry for us right now. He intercedes for us at the right hand of God. Turning a throne of holiness and judgment into a throne of grace. Where I can find mercy when I fail or fall. And grace to help in my trials and troubles. And that same faithful love will go on forever. Someday Jesus will come. And 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 53, says that this perishable will put on the imperishable, this mortal will put on immortality. But did you know I misquoted that? It says, this perishable must put on the imperishable, this mortal must. Put on immortality. Why must? Because Jesus demands it. Someday I will stand blameless. Absolutely in holiness. Because of the faithful love of Jesus Christ. During the breaking of bread. Someone read Ephesians 2.7. That in the ages to come. He might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That faithful love will be surrounding my life and yours if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior forever. It's grounded in the faithful love of Jesus Christ. Well, real quickly, our last verse, verse 9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Don't let them rob you. Someone has said, there is a tendency that times have changed and the faith of a previous generation is no longer relevant. And the answer is, Jesus is the same. He was the same back then. He's the same today. He's the same forever. So the truths about Jesus Christ are always relevant. And so there will be those who come along and, and they came along to these Hebrew Christians and said, look, you need to come back to Judaism. You need to come back to the sacrifices. You need to come back to the rituals. You need to come back to some of these things. And to, in our day, there are those who will come and they'll say, listen, and, and the key to all of this is they want to rob you of the benefits of what we have in Christ See, all of them want to bring you back to Mount Sinai that Bjorn shared about last week. They want to bring you back to the law. And they want to say to you, if you keep this, God will accept you. And you know what's going to happen? When you come to Mount Sinai, you're going to meet dismal failure and fear. That's what you find at Mount Sinai. And God wants to bring us to Mount Zion. God wants to bring us to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God wants to bring us to that statement on the cross, finished, totally paid for, and strengthen our hearts with grace. And so he says, listen, let those that you've known before who showed that faith Remember them. But really focus on the Lord Jesus. It's him and his faithful love and his sacrifice at the cross and his ministry for us that that makes us right with God, that will give us the strength to meet whatever we we meet in this life and guarantees our, our glorious future. Don't let them rob you. I do some chapels at at Friendship Village and there's an older man that comes in the pavilion, the Med Center. And he plays his harmonica along with some of the songs. And he and I were visiting uh, last week and uh, I was just visiting with him about, about some things and he said, you know, Billy Sunday came to Waterloo, Iowa. Billy Sunday was the preacher before... Uh, D.L. Moody. He was a Chicago uh, baseball player that got gloriously saved. He was a very colorful uh, preacher. Um, And he came to town. And I said, so you went to hear Billy, Billy Sunday? And he said, yes, I did. And he said, he told me something that forever changed my life. And I said, what's that? He said, Jesus said, paid in Billy Sunday said when he got to heaven, he would walk up to heaven's gate and he would say, listen, my sins have been paid in full. And he said, and that night I took the offer. And he said, you know what? He's 95. He said, one of these days I'll walk to heaven's gates. Paid up in full by Jesus Christ. And that's what they want to rob you of. Don't let them do it. Faith. The examples of faith. Hope. The encouragement of the ministry of Christ. Of God's protection in our trials. Of our glorious future. And now love. Evidence of faith. May it be true of our lives. Let's pray. Father we thank you. We thank you for your care more than we know, more than we understand. And someday we'll stand in your presence and we'll see your glory and, and we'll understand uh, even better how gracious you are to us. And we pray, Lord, that, that you would help us to be strengthened by grace, that we might enjoy all the benefits of, of what Jesus Christ earned for us at the cross. Father, we we pray that as we go out into the world, you would give us opportunities to show love because we ask it in Jesus' name.